Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this Aloha Friday. This is Catherine Cruz, and today I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Kozak. She's the host of The Body Show, which airs on this station at 6.30 p.m. on Mondays. In 1999, Dr. Kozak joined Straub Clinic and Hospital, where she currently works as an internist specializing in preventative health, travel medicine, women's health, and wellness. She's a graduate of the Medical College of Pennsylvania and did her residency at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Dr. Kozak also spent time in medical clinics in Australia, Peru, Zimbabwe, India, Puerto Rico, Indonesia, the Philippines, and Cambodia. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Kozak. Oh, thanks for having me. It sounds like I'm never here after that <laughs> long list. Yeah, no, but it just kind of shows, you know, you've you've been out there. You've seen, you know, the, the health field in, in so many different uh, areas. And, and you're out there on the forefront today during this health crisis. You know, what are you seeing in your practice? Well, you know, it's ironic because everybody's been trying to, prior to coronavirus, talk about how to get telemedicine involved in medical care. And a lot of us have just not adopted that very readily. And about two or three weeks ago, that just went on hyperdrive. So we are still seeing patients in the offices if they have a medical need and that's required. But we're also doing a lot of telephone visits and electronic visits. And in fact, a lot of folks have gotten up on some of the platforms to do video visits so that we can really try and meet patients where they're at and not necessarily have them risk exposure coming to where we're at, which is, you know, in a medical center, in a medical office. And, and uh, I, I'm sure, though, maybe folks might feel most comfortable with their seeing their, you know, their doctors that they're who are familiar with them. Well, and that's sort of the advantage is that as we look at different novel ways of trying to provide medical care, what we're trying to do is really help to meet patients where they're at with doctors who know them and who have the longitudinal care experience of knowing their past medical history, knowing their medicines, knowing what's happened to them in the past. So ideally, if we could all have technological devices that would help all of our patients and be able to visually see them where they're at, that would be great. Realistically, half of my patients are geriatric and they don't have smartphones and they have landlines. So we just need to find ways to meet patients and answer their needs and their questions the way they have availability. There are other platforms that they can use. There's other telemedicine-based platforms that are out there that help to provide what's called episodic care. I'll help you right now for this one thing. And that's really good in times of a crisis. But we do want to make sure that those people who have providers who know them the best, know their complicated medical history, we want to make sure that patients don't lose that historical ability of these docs or providers to help them by just having episodic care. Now more than ever, if you know somebody's medical history and you're taking care of them, that's what's going to help them the best. So give us a snapshot, uh, because I know we did talk to uh, one company and they were saying that, yeah, sometimes folks just um, are, are really worried and they want to be tested right away, you know, uh, and, and they'll reach out to them and pay out of pocket uh, and then see if then their carriers will, will pick up the cost later. So, you know, what's the snapshot out there? Well, it's interesting because the Department of Health has really followed strictly to the CDC guidelines on who should be tested. We want people to be tested who have symptoms, who are presenting with things that potentially could alter what we tell them to do. So for those folks who are sick with symptoms and who need to know, and they could potentially recover at home, or certainly for those that are sick enough in the hospital, we need to know what we are dealing with. So although we have had to look at testing from that symptomatic perspective, 
when you look at this from a public health perspective, in the perfect world, we would have so many different tests available, all different types, not just one test, the nasopharyngeal swab. We would have all different types of availability, and it would be unlimited. In the realistic world, we have to make sure that we have enough test supplies available. And it's not just the test equipment. It's also all the personal protection that needs to be worn to do the test. So it's not just doing the swab. It's also the person doing the swab wearing a face mask, wearing gloves, wearing a covering and some type of respirator type of device, and wearing full-on personal protective equipment. We're hearing about shortages elsewhere in the US, let alone the world, where people are not having the access to the personal protective equipment they need to take care of positive patients. So we need to make sure we don't run out just using all of that protective equipment to take care of people who are either at low risk or who might be able to recover at home. So it's it's an evolving situation and it's almost like a moving target. It's hard to know what the best approach should be and the tests that are available out are expanding. And then uh, you also hold a position as a medical director with UHA. Is there anything else from that perspective that you can share? Well, all insurance companies want to provide access for, for members for their medical care. And one of the things that we're seeing is a lot of people are worried, and they want to communicate and contact their provider. The Centers for Medicare Services, CMS, has decided that they want to cover the testing itself with no copay. They don't want there to be a barrier for people getting tested. Most local insurers, HMSA and UHA, have agreed that the testing that needs to be done should not involve a copay. There's other aspects to that, and there's what about people who come in for different reasons or other reasons, and is this going to potentially be something where everybody wants to get tested and we do all the tests and then we run out when we need to do more so insurance is really looking at the the cms guidelines and what medicare is doing to try and help us adopt a policy that makes sense for the most people but we're also looking at cdc guidelines and wanting to make sure we follow medical necessity okay i believe we've got a phone call on the line rose from maui has a question good morning rose morning uh, aloha, and thanks for doing this. I, my question is about the antibody test. I heard that there was some FDA approved. Are they available? If so, are they available here? I mean, I'm on Maui, but because my family was all really sick in January. We had all the symptoms, and I'm just wondering if we had it and then we could, you know, help out some way. It's a great question, Rose, because there are some situations where people who have previously been infected are actually suggesting people could use their plasma to try and find if they have antibodies to go ahead and help other people. There is an FDA-approved antibody test that is coming to the islands. I spoke to a provider yesterday in one of the urgent cares in Waikiki, and he said that his clinic, Doctors of Waikiki, is going to get that test this week or early next week and start doing the blood test for that. The concern that we have is that we don't know necessarily about the accuracy, but also what that means for the person who has potentially been exposed in the past. Now, we do know that the earliest cases that were developed, that were found here in, in the United States were in early January. So without any history of travel to Wuhan, China, or some other direct consequence of interaction, we have to remember that 
The symptoms of coronavirus often are very similar in the beginning to the symptoms of influenza. So if everybody got really sick, statistically, it was probably more likely to be the flu at that time in Maui than it would be coronavirus. And again, that changes because what the answer to that question two weeks from now, if we see more cases on Maui or we see more people who are infected here in the islands, that answer could be different. But thinking about back in January, it probably wasn't coronavirus unless there was some specific exposure that someone in your family had that was a little unusual. And that was a question about the antibody test. And I know we were hearing a lot in the news this week about the rapid uh, result test, I think the 10-minute Thing. And so, yeah, I guess it's going to just take a while before we get it here in the islands. Well, and there are some folks that are out there that are wanting to promote testing that doesn't necessarily follow the CDC guidelines. And there are some tests that are FDA approved that our medical centers may not have available just yet. I'll tell you, it has been amazing looking at the speed by which technological advances have occurred even within the last couple of weeks that people are developing a test or a test that was almost ready to market is now being marketed or they're doing different ways of trying to identify those people who have it the real key is if you identify somebody who has been exposed if they have symptoms they need to stay home if they need medical attention they need to alert providers that they have potentially been tested positive if that's the case because the providers need to protect the other people around them. The key is that if you if you are sick and you think you might have been exposed and you're otherwise healthy, stay home and quarantine yourself for at least 14 days. That will help to reduce the spread for you to your family or for you to anyone else out in the community. The real concern we have these days is some new studies are coming out looking at what we call asymptomatic shedders. These are people who don't know they have it they could be shedding the virus, and because they have no symptoms, they don't know they're spreading it out in the community. They're not aware of that. And there have been reports of people who have had birthday parties or other sorts of events in the mainland. Nobody was sick, and yet give it a few days, give it a week, and now half the people are now positive. And they all had that party as a similar source. So asymptomatic shedding is really out there. And that's where doing the testing to find out if you actively have it is helpful. But we need to look further at how we're going to identify who these people are that might have it and be spreading it without even knowing it. Right. And it, uh, things are changing every day. We we learn more information and then uh, the people in power make try and make the best uh, decisions to guide the country, to guide the state, to guide your community, right? Everybody's doing the best they can with the information they have at that time. And that information is changing. Okay. And so the big thing this week is about masks, and we had a number of listeners call in to our talkback line. Uh, let's take a listen. My name is Paul Wheelis, I'm from Hilo. You have a guy on the radio that's saying <clears throat> masks or some kind of face protection should be only given to um, caregivers first and then the public, and I disagree with that totally. If you look at uh, somebody talking to somebody else, their vapor can extend three feet in front of them. So the six-foot thing is fine, but if somebody sneezes or coughs, it can go 20 and 30 feet. I think we need to tell people that if they have a bandana or a mask or they can make something at home to keep their vapor to themselves, I think that's worthwhile. I was an Army medic in the... Uh, in the Army, and 
I think that everybody should be wearing a mask, and that is not to keep from getting the virus, but to keep from spreading the virus. If you do that, then more people will not be in the hospital dead. Thank you very much. My name is Keikoa, and I live in Honolulu. Uh, Catherine mentioned uh, face masks and had segments about face masks about three or four times, and she talked about how she got hers. But please tell us out here, um, where do you get a face mask? Um, I've been looking all over for one, and they're impossible to find. So please do a segment on where us people, um, Kupuna, people with, um, you know, uh, underlying health conditions, where can we get a face mask? And not the N95, but just any kind of a face mask. Thank you very much. Bye. I know I got my face mask at a drugstore. <laughs> they were it was there at the checkout station, and that's where I got mine. And then uh, our bosses here have supplied us with uh, some like surgical masks. Uh, so I don't know. You want to chime in on on these uh, f- from the listeners? Absolutely. Face masks are a big question, and we do know that Kirk Caldwell said yesterday that everybody should wear a mask in public, and he recommended cloth masks. So here's the deal with the masks. First of all, it's really hard to get them. So I'm not suggesting people go out and buy it like we all did toilet paper because although these days now I see it and don't make a mask out of toilet paper, just FYI, but, you know, it's hard to find them. So medical grade masks, the N95 respirators, even surgical masks, but mainly the N95s, hospitals need them. So if you have a supply, take a look. The hospitals are accepting donations. Some people had these who were in construction. Some people had them who were in the dental practices. And I've seen some wonderful people out there, dentists and and construction workers or people who did woodworking, who actually have volunteered and shared their masks with medical centers and said, I don't need it right now. My office is closed or this isn't important. So I'm going to donate it to the medical centers because they're going to need it. So medical grade masks should be in medical centers. We do not want to have healthcare providers get sick and spread the virus to other people in the hospital. We do not want to have people unable to have the protection that they need in medical situations. What should the public do? Well, there's there's other options. So the surgical mask that Catherine you mentioned that you guys have is a pretty good option. Now the key with wearing a mask is this. Don't get a false sense of security. These masks are not designed, if you were in close contact with someone with coronavirus, to actually protect you. They cannot keep you from getting exposed with continual close contact. So the social distancing and the six feet is still extremely important. But here's what a mask can do. A mask can help you keep your germs to yourself. So if you do cough and you tend not to cover your mouth or if you sneeze and sometimes these things happen and you don't have a lot of notice, you're like, boom, I sneezed and I didn't even have a chance to cover my mouth. Masks will help with that. Also, masks make you not able to touch your face. So if you wear them correctly, meaning you're covering your nose and you're covering your mouth, then you're not going to be touching those areas readily. And if you do touch a door handle or you touch some other surface where there's potentially virus that might still be on there, you're less likely to literally put it in your mouth or your nose. It doesn't necessarily cover your eyes. So you do want to consider don't touch your eyes. Be careful. You sanitize your hands if you're touching your eyes. Make sure that if you do have eye protection, like if you wear glasses, these days glasses have never been so hip because they at least provide a little bit of a barrier. So these are things that the general public could do. Now, where to get masks? These days a lot of folks are saying let's make them at home. 
I know that, you know, President Trump had said if you have a bandana and that was considered an option. It's better than nothing. We're certainly not suggesting everybody go out there dressed like a bandit in public, but we are suggesting that if for the fact that you could protect yourself from your own germs spreading to someone else or from touching your face from something that you might have touched out in the environment, masks could be good. They're not going to protect you, again, if you're in close contact with someone who has coronavirus. So you do have to keep in mind that wearing a mask does not make you somehow invincible. And it's better than nothing, which is what we're hearing from some of the guidance from some of the medical areas. I do know that the CDC was going to weigh in today on should the whole entire general public wear masks. That hasn't happened as of yet that I am aware of. I'm checking on the website regularly. But again, it's not because we think that's going to keep everybody from getting sick. But we do think that it is a measure of protection similar to social distancing or staying six feet away that could help people from what's called the sneeze cloud or, as our one caller said, the vapor cloud. You know, uh, I just talked to a friend of mine earlier uh, today who I think stopped by the craft store and said he couldn't find uh, elastic anywhere. There's a run on elastic, you know, because people are making their own masks. So we do have a caller with a comment or a question. Uh, Gus from Javi. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Hey, listen, folks. You can make a mask out of a T-shirt, underwear, anything that's cloth, a dishwash. You know, don't make a mountain out of a molehill. This is like right in front of you. You can make your own little mask and make them stylish or just make them cover your mouth. Double it up. Triple it up. Put disinfectant on it. But you don't have to go out and buy it, kids, okay? Just that's the deal. You know, I had somebody this morning tell me that they found old shoulder pads in some clothing that they don't wear anymore, and they said it fits perfectly. So to comment on the elastic issue, you can use just regular strings or ribbons and you can adjust it and tie it tightly yourself so although elastic is nice and it helps and it's it's a good way to keep it form-fitting for different people if you're making your own mask the good old cloth ties you know if you look at surgical masks from 50 years ago there wasn't elastic they were all cloth and they were tied in the back behind the ears behind the head like people would normally do and that that was also sufficient so no elastic does not mean that you're out out without any mask now um i have to chuckle because i was reading in the paper that i think in japan they were repurposing bras <laughs> well it's like a shoulder pad there you go yeah. and then you my, could do that uh my friend told me you know i guarantee if you if you use underwear there's going to be social distancing <laughs> that's true if you make a really weird looking mask people will stay away but you know it is actually nice to think that people out there are getting creative again when people are forced to do something different amazing what they'll come up with and so you're right it could be something like a like a underwear it could be a t-shirt it could be any sort of cloth but do it a couple of different layers so make sure that you have enough layers that it's not just one layer that's going to be less protective than a two or three layer type of mask should you want to make your own and if you're just joining the conversation we're talking about all kinds of things related to the coronavirus uh, we have dr kathy kozak uh, in uh, at our round table today we'd like to know what you think uh, join the discussion by calling us at 941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands um, again we were talking about uh, lots of uh, comments about the face mask uh, we have a couple of more uh, to fire off. Uh, my name is Annie Stiefel from the Big Island, Pahoa. 
group of about a dozen of us here are sending more than thoughts and prayers. We've made close to 200 masks delivered to Hilo Hospital on the request of an ER nurse. So they are so underprepared for this. They are having to use their issued uh, mask if they got one, if they were in the ER area um, for three days. So with these, we're trying to get two for all their workers, the receptionists, the janitors, everybody, as well as the front, real frontline people. So they have two, one to wash and one to wear. So this is a grassroots. Uh, initiative by about a dozen of us here in sleepy Pahoa town who are kind of prepared for this kind of craziness because of the lava flow we had a year and a half ago, almost two years, uh, where we banded together to help out. So uh, making masks is a good thing to do for uh, any of your health facilities. You know, and I think think people just really want to do something to help because they're, you know, they're hearing about our healthcare workers out on, on the front lines and and they feel helpless and they just think, well, if I can do something to help someone in my community, uh, you know, I, I want to do that. Uh, we had a, a nurse on Maui uh, who called to tell us about a group on the island claiming to make N95 masks and selling them on, a, in, on the Internet. Her concern was uh, that they'll sell a bunch of masks and people on the island will think the N95 shortage is fine. Um, We asked uh, Hilton uh, Rachel, president and CEO of the Healthcare Association of Hawaii, if it was possible to make homemade uh, N95 masks, and here's what he had to say. That would be very, very challenging. Um, The N95 mask is um, FDA certified. And it is, has very specific requirements. It is designed to filter out 95% of the particles, of the virus particles, and that's where the N95 comes from. So it filters out 95% of the particles. Unless a person's mask was to be calibrated or certified in the lab, they could, no one could say with assurance that they have a N95 equivalent mask. So let's talk about the N95s. Yeah, I actually have one in my office that we're given every year because we're told that we need to be prepared and we're fitted in medical centers to make sure they fit for TB exposure. So we're all told that we have to have this personally fitted N95 mask because as healthcare workers, there could be other exposures that we might be encountering. So it also needs to be fitted. So the key is that if you do have an actual FDA approved and certified N95, you know, we had somebody in our office who had a lot of facial hair and he had a beard and he had to shave it off because if he wanted to be protected, that wasn't going to be possible using even the standard FDA approved N95 mask. So do consider that even with the best mask, there could be some other things you have to take a look at. Um, it, it, it is interesting, you know, because I know there's so many scams out there where people are ordering things and then they, they never get their order or they get something and, you know, maybe it's not what they thought it was, what was advertised online. Well, and that's the key. That's why we want medical centers to have first access to the medical grade supplies because they're going to be the ones literally taking care of highly infectious people who need medical care in a center, could be coughing, could be having breathing issues. Those folks really need the medical grade equipment. And so be careful when you go online. I even looked on Amazon for 
delivery of something I was looking at a thermometer and it said we'll get it for you by May so you know there are some places that they might sell the legitimate equipment it might be so delayed you won't get it for months but if you are seeing something that's too good to be true remember it probably is too good to be true and also be careful if you are making donations to a medical center and it looks like it's an N95, but you got it from some location or you made it at home and it may not be. You need to identify that because we would not want medical personnel in an ICU using equipment that they think is certified but actually isn't and exposing themselves or other patients to that risk. Yeah, we've got to protect our health care workers for sure. Well, this is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Uh, Dr. Kathy Kozak is uh, with us this morning. You can join the discussion by calling one 941 3689 Stay with us. We'll be right back after a break. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors, locations, Haleakala Waldorf School and Honolulu Waldorf School. I'm Ira Flato. On the next Science Friday, a tour of the mysterious Mercury. This tiny rocky planet closest to the sun heats up to a metal melting 800 degrees, yet there is ice at the poles. Plus how you can contribute to real research in Citizen Science Month and our latest coronavirus update. It's all on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Starting this afternoon at 1. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Carla Malden, author of After Image, a broken-hearted memoir of a charmed life. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about a love story of death and beyond. Sunday morning at 11. are back with the conversation and we have a call from the big island uh david from hilo you're on the air hello thanks for having me on the air i just uh, just calling with a suggestion one benefit of making your own mask with cloth and using um string instead of rubber bands is that you can microwave the mask to disinfect it just a suggestion okay thank you so much david you know we did have another caller uh who who asked about that very thing, you know, uh, you know, how long do you put it in for and all of that. But this is what Hilton Rachel, the president and CEO of the Healthcare Association of Hawaii, had to say about that. A microwave is effective at killing germs, and it's effective not because of the microwave, but because of the heat, because heat is what kills bacteria and viruses. So putting a mask in a microwave for approximately two minutes should be effective at killing viruses on masks so you need to be careful that it doesn't get too hot because if it's a combustible material um, you don't want to overcook or overheat the mask but putting a mask in um, a microwave for approximately two minutes is very very effective because of the heat at destroying the virus and then I've also heard you know uh 
you can maybe put it in the oven at low temperatures. Um, but some of the masks have metal in them, right? So you've got to be careful if you use them in the microwave. Yeah, some of them do. Some of the fitted surgical, well, hopefully you wouldn't put the surgical mask in there because that's made out of sort of paper-like material. But you do have to be careful. And the key is that when you, if you were to make a mask and use strings, make sure that you are pulling it tight enough. What is available with some of those other masks is the ability to compress it around the nose. And so you know if you've done a good job, if you've put on a pair of glasses and you breathe, if you have like fog coming up in your glasses, then there's too many openings up by the nose. So they try to make them fitted with either metal or some other piece of material. You can do the same by just being careful with the strings if you tie them in the back. Again, we would not want somebody who in the best effort to try and protect themselves caused a house fire because they were microwaving something that they shouldn't. So just be careful. The other thing that I've seen people do is they've actually washed the cloth masks and used bleach and helped to try and disinfect it in that way as well. The nice thing about a cloth mask is if you know how to make one, you can make a whole bunch of them and you don't have to wear the same one day after day. You can wash it, you can put it in the dryer on high heat, and that can also help you. So if you are doing something like that, just be extremely careful. Consider that you also still want to avoid other people's social distancing. If you're sick, you need to stay home. And also, don't touch your face. I tried that once. And I'll be honest, it was really hard. The number of times I touched my face was shocking to me. And I had somebody else count and I was like, oh, I didn't do it at all. And they're like, yeah, uh, you did 10 times in the last couple of minutes. So we really don't realize how often we do that. And that's another way to try and help prevent spread. Right. And you could scratch your forehead or, you know. I mean, my nose itches right now that I said that and I want to rub it, but I will not. (laughs) Okay. I won't. Um, uh, You know, it's interesting because I remember reading that in Asia, uh, it is more kind of just a... Uh, an accepted behavior. They feel uh, an obligation to prevent other people uh, from, you know, getting something that they're spreading. You know, we talked to Governor David Ige yesterday. He said, keep your germs to yourself, which I, I, you know, just, it's a, it's a great line. Keep your germs to yourself. And, you know, I, uh, I'm not used to wearing a mask. And so uh, I'm, you know, I tried it for an hour first just to see what it was like just to get comfortable with it, you know. And so, you know, is it, it's not easy, by. right? No, it's not. It's not. So I don't know. Are you, you comfortable wearing a mask? Well, I am now. You know, we've started. When you go through medical school, you get comfortable with a lot of things you didn't realize you could. But even in practice, we've had to start wearing masks. It was recommended that for patient care, for anybody who still comes into the doctor's office, you will most likely see your provider wearing a mask. And they will also sanitize their hands and then use gloves. And then after they finish touching you, they will take the gloves off, sanitize their hands again. So that we're being told that that's appropriate for any medical setting where you're not whatever the condition may be. If there's a highly suspected coronavirus case, then full protective equipment is recommended. But for people who are coming in because I had someone come in the other day, they fractured their ribs and they wanted to make sure that they would heal and it would be okay. And I had another person who came in with a rash that developed all of a sudden. It turns out it was shingles. And they didn't have a smartphone. They couldn't text me a photo. So there are still reasons why people are coming to see their provider that are urgent needs right now. If you have chest pain and you have a cardiac history, 
please go to the emergency room because you could be having a heart attack. And we don't want people to stay home out of fear that they're going to get exposed and have worse medical consequences. If you think you're having a stroke, make sure you get medical attention. This is not a time for you to try and stay home because you're afraid that you might get exposed. You know, the ambulances that are out there have done an excellent job. They are experts. They're medical professionals. They know how to sanitize things and they know how to keep everyone safe. So do trust your medical professionals. They're doing absolutely the best they can. And we would not want people to avoid emergency and appropriate medical care out of fear. Right. So shout out to the emergency medical technicians who are out there responding to those 911 calls and potential COVID-19 All the first responders, the firefighters, the police, the ambulance folks, all of those folks, they really are the front line. I've had people, you know, telling me, thank you, you're front line. And I'm thinking, maybe in the next couple of weeks I will be. But right now I'm actually in a really safe environment talking with patients on a phone. So, you know, I give more props to those people who are in the hospitals, in the ER, in the ICUs, the first responders going to people's homes to assess their medical condition and bring them to hospital facilities. Those are the folks who really, they have my absolute admiration. Yes. We do have another call on line three with a question. Hello. Hi. This is Rick from the Big Island, and I have a question about the masks. Um, I know the reason that cloth masks are not as effective is because they don't have the ability to filter small enough things. I know I have, and I'm sure many other people have, small appliances with HEPA filters in them. If I added a HEPA filter between layers of cloth and the mask, would that work? It's a great question, you know, and we don't know. I mean, we truly are in uncharted waters right now. And we know that HEPA filters usually are in certain appliances, like you mentioned. They have vacuums that have those. They have other sorts of devices like air purifiers. And, you know, you can try it. It's, it hasn't been tested, to my knowledge, by the FDA or recommended But if you feel as though that's something you want to try, okay, I can't guarantee it's going to work. But if it's the difference between it working and you not having any possible mask, then I'm not going to say no to it. You know, we are going to retrospectively look back on this and think of all the different things that we have learned, things we've done really well and things we haven't, innovations that people have come up with and things we should have thought of, but now we have enough time to think we could have done things differently. I love hearing that people are getting innovative at trying to help themselves. But I do caution folks, don't let that give you a false sense of security so that you avoid the six-foot social distancing or so that you get really close up to someone and think you're protected when maybe you're not. And also, you know, any mask covering on your face helps you to not touch it. And I'm a guilty queen on that one. So stop touching your nose. Again, mine itches every time I say that. (laughs) Don't rub your eyes if you can avoid it. Sanitize your hands as much as possible. These good public health sentiments are things I hope we remember. This will decrease the rates of influenza every year. This could potentially decrease what is considered to be a potential resurgence of coronavirus. Might happen in a few months, might happen every year. We, If we learn now, we'll be in a better position later. Right, so we need to to change our behavior uh, and uh, practice uh, good hygiene. Oh, you did have a second question for Dr. Kozak? It was more a comment mm-hmm. about how the testing is being done. I recognize that we have limited testing, and I also recognize that no matter what we find out about a person being ill, whether or not they have COVID, 
symptoms or the virus itself, we're not going to treat them any differently. So I'm wondering, isn't it, wouldn't it be much better if instead of testing those people who appear to have the COVID-19, that we test the people who they've been in contact with? It would give us better information. It's a great comment, and I think we're learning a lot about how do we approach testing for folks. The real key is this. If you think you have it, stay home, 14 days, self-quarantine. If you don't have any respiratory problems and you're able to recover at home, of course we recommend that. The people we're most concerned about are those who develop respiratory symptoms, maybe can't breathe well, have a pre-existing lung condition. They're going to need medical attention. If we test everybody and all the contacts, here's the other part of it. We don't know if asymptomatic people who test negative could test positive later on. And that's a question that has come up because there was the physician, the ophthalmologist in China, who had said, you know, I think there's a problem. And he had, he had said that there was an issue, and then he was kind of told to be quiet from the government, and then he came back, and he went back to work in the hospital. He tested negative twice. And then the third time he tested positive and he died of coronavirus. So we don't know about the false negative rate for some of these tests. We would not want to say to somebody, hey, you're negative with your testing. You can go out in the community and you don't have to wear a mask and you can avoid the distancing type of recommendations and then have them actually test positive a week later because maybe it was too early in the onset for us to be able to detect that they actually had the infection. That's where social distancing comes about. That's where staying home if you're sick comes about and being careful with your exposure to other people. Ideally, we could test everybody. But if we did, we'd have to do it multiple times because there still could be exposure that is coming from sources we haven't yet been able to stop that could make that test need even greater. And we would not want to be in a position where every individual had to get tested three or four times over the next few months, and then those who we really needed to test didn't have the equipment available. Remember, some of the testing, depending on how we do it, those nasopharyngeal swabs, uses PPE, personal protective equipment, when it's being done. And that means that that set of PPE is not available to be reused in a medical setting where it might be needed even more. Okay, we have another caller on the line. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, yes. Um, I'm calling from the Big Island of Hawaii. Um, I have a suggestion for um, uh, if you have to, if you have to reuse personal protective equipment um, for disinfecting it. Yeah. And um, my suggestion is, well, we know that UV light kills these types of viruses, right? And um, so if you have lots of sunshine, putting it out in the sunlight for an extended period of time could possibly kill the virus. Well, and I think the key there is possibly, and we don't know enough about the duration of time in sunlight and the amount of exposure that would be necessary to be able to completely kill any particular virus that is on a on something that's been left outside. We also know that, you know, it may be airborne, so we don't know if there's a way that somebody who was nearby or something else that was on that clothesline, if you were putting it outside, could also be infected. There are medical-grade UV disinfectants, and there are ways that you can use UV light 
even prior to this whole episode, there are devices that can be brought into an operating room to actually clean it using ultraviolet light and get rid of all the potential virus and bacteria particles. Those medical grade UV disinfectants are standardized and they're monitored and they're tested and we can prove that they work. I love the idea of sunshine. This is a state where we have a lot of it, but I just don't think there's been any proof that it's going to work. Again, if somebody feels this is going to help them and it's going to make them wear the mask as long as they take other precautions, social distancing, six feet, and also staying home when they're sick, then don't let it give you a false sense of security. Great idea. We just haven't tested and proven if it works. And it's interesting because, you know, as we're reading all these news stories and we're hearing about how you know certain countries are doing more testing than maybe the U.S. and they everybody's got different tests. Like every country's got some other uh, you know. They're method. all over, right? There's all different types of tests, and we again, this is real time. We're adjusting and modifying and changing things every single day. If you look at what was said even a month ago, it's completely out of date from today. So we have to consider that this is truly an evolving situation, and. The advice we gave a week ago may not be accurate, even a week from now. We had another call uh, from the Big Island, uh, Brad up in Coloco. Hi, this is Brad up in Coloco, Kona, up in the rainforest. It's raining. i just hearing the world, so it's kind of obvious that the kind of people that are getting sick first and dying are the kind of people that are worried, hypochondriacs, whatever. I'm up here on the mountain. I just contacted my friend. He gave me some bags from Walmart, and I tossed it in the natural ground cover, rubbed it around on the wetness. There's no virus particles. And, and if I got a slight, what's the word, viral load, I handle it with my immune system. You just can't worry. The, the Italians that are dying are the oldest people in Europe. I know it can't go on forever. Thank you so much. Dr. Kozak. Well... So here's the thing. If we look at the statistics of people who are dying in different countries and we look at it in total, we see that the ones who have the highest risk of death are the people who are older. They did some studies looking in in various countries and I think if you're above 80 there's like a 13.4 percent chance that based on studies that were done in China looking at about 70,000 people that you would potentially have uh, a significant problem and or mortality from exposure and infection with the illness. We are trying to protect our kapuna. We do want to avoid getting people sick that may not have the immune system capability to help fight this virus or fight this infection. This also is going to affect the asthmatics of any age. Those people are at a higher risk. Those who smoke who have COPD, they also could be at a higher risk. We're looking at studies coming out of countries saying high blood pressure, diabetes, and other sorts of medical conditions put you at a higher risk. And then I'm seeing reports in the media that people in their 30s are dying of coronavirus and they had no pre-existing medical conditions. So there's so much unknown about this situation that I really don't think we can we can just assume that we will be okay if our immune system is intact. There are people out there who are getting exposed and potentially being in ICUs for extended durations of time. We're seeing that it's honestly something that it could affect all of us. So I would not have that false sense of security of thinking, oh, my immune system can handle this. Remember, this virus is something there's no innate immunity to. 
nobody has seen it before except for those this episode that have gotten infected that we know of. So we know that this is not something that you or I would have immunity to if we got exposed to it. There was some question that people who live near bat caves could potentially have previously had exposure to this because bats are considered one of the potential vectors. I know that in China they were doing some blood testing of farmers that live near bat caves and found maybe they had previously been exposed. But we don't know if that's going to help them from COVID-19. This is a different form of the virus. This is a different type of infection, and it could affect anybody of all ages. It also has to do with your level of exposure. A casual exposure to someone may not provide enough infection to really cause the multi-system organ failure that we're seeing in hospitals across the nation that is causing death. But a significant exposure of this virus could really affect somebody regardless of their age. So I would not think that you could be protected just by a standard immune system working well. Our immune system hasn't seen this before. And we need to respect the fact that there are more vulnerable people in our community who could be affected. And we don't want to have innocent people die from this if we could prevent it. We have a caller from Waimanalo. AJ. You have a question? Yeah, good morning. Thank you for this program, and thank you for HBR. It's interesting because my comment tags on to what the doctor just was saying, really. Millennials. Um, I see young people right out here in Waimanalo. I saw some guys standing around a fire a couple of nights ago, shoulder to shoulder, squeezing up tight to take selfies, crowding into a car to go home. Millennials don't really – well, we got some smart millennials, but there's many that don't seem to get it. And it's 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 a tendency for young people. They want to be together, and they you know they're, they're just being young people. But if you've got a millennial in your family, keep track of them. Or if you are a millennial yourself, pay attention. I just saw. I think I heard it on HBR this morning. <clears throat> um, uh, results coming out of Austin, Texas. Some of the kids that were on that uh, spring break, where they're all crowded together on the beach. Uh, I think something like 40% of the, the casualties in, in Austin are between 20 and 30-ish years old. So that's that age group. So that was my one point. I've got one other point I'd like to mention, which is that I think a lot of times when people wear rubber gloves, they don't realize that they should sanitize the gloves also. They feel that they wear the gloves, and, and so their hands are safe. And, um, and I don't see this brought up too often, and, and I know that the medical profession knows this but when you take off your gloves gloves you can recontaminate your hands from your gloves in the process of taking the, the yes. gloves off thank you and thank you so much very good points aj absolutely because you know wearing gloves makes us again think we're invincible so we'll touch door handles and we'll touch other things and if you don't take them off carefully and then touch your face there you go so my recommendation is you sanitize before you put on the gloves you put on the gloves if they're not something that's if you're about to touch something and you're not quite sure you can sanitize the glove but as soon as you take them off you got to take them off and keep them inside out so that you're not touching with your fingers any of the outside part of that glove practice it if people aren't quite sure how to do it but consider that the outside is contaminated and you have to take it off by just turning it inside out and making sure that you're not touching those outside areas and then sanitize your hands again sanitizer is a great thing washing your hands i'll give you an earworm Catherine. the baby shark people who had that 
baby shark video. They made a little one on YouTube that's wash your hands with the same do 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 do. And it's in my head now and I can't get it out. But it's great that they use this common theme and this song that everybody has heard. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people. And turned it into wash your hands okay. and tried to get people to do their 20 seconds at least. Wash your hands. It's it's an earworm like happy birthday, but that, that'll get in your head now. Okay, I think we've got time for one more call. Russell from Honolulu, you're on the air. Hi there, Russell. Hey, hi. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Do you have a question? Thank you, Dr. Kodak, for your service. And then I'll, uh, it's only shame that we can't hear you seven days a week, Ms. Catherine. Love to hear from you every, every day. But anyhow, my question was uh, on the briefing yesterday from the White House, um, President Trump uh, made, made a comment saying that he got tested again. And the result came out one minute after. So the rapid test that they did. And one of the reporters quickly uh, asked him a question. He said, how fast can the public get that uh, rapid test? I know, he said, I know you're the president, but how fast? Or uh, when will be the next time the, uh, the, the local hospitals will get that kind of uh, Thank you. rapid testing? Thank you for that. You know, I hope real soon. There's all different types of tests out there. We have got tests that take 12 days, 10 days, 4 days four hours. There's different tests, and I'm hoping that we can innovate and get a test that could be done rapidly at the bedside. That would be fabulous. Not only do we need the test, but we also need to know how often does it have to be run? And is a test negative today going to be the same as a test negative in three days if you have more exposures? A lot of unknowns. Big message, if you're sick, stay home. And then, uh, Dr. Kozak, I don't know, any final thoughts? I, I know that you uh, recently did a show on the uh, dialysis um, uh, centers. Uh, anything else you just want to cover before we close out the show? Sure. Dialysis patients, please still go to dialysis. Dialysis centers actually have had to deal with bloodborne pathogens, hepatitis, HIV, etc. And these patients still need dialysis. So they actually are really well versed in trying to keep themselves and their patients protected. So all dialysis patients should feel comfortable. The center they go to is going to know how to protect them and they're not going to be exposed anywhere near as much as they may fear. Don't skip your dialysis. That's life-saving. So please go. They know how to handle things at the same level of hospitals. All right. Any other final thoughts you want to emphasize to our listeners? Wash your hands. Get that baby shark theme in your head because now it's still in mine. Make sure that you stay away from other people at least six feet social distancing. Make sure that you don't touch your face all the time. And if wearing a fast face mask helps that, Please do it if that's what's going to make you keep from spreading your germs or from touching your face and getting someone else's. And again, if you're sick, stay home two weeks. Even if you think, oh, this isn't coronavirus, it's not that bad. We don't know how long people like that shed the virus. Please stay home. Keep this from infecting other people as much as possible. We're in this together, everybody. If we all work together, we can do some great things and hopefully help to contain this virus and not let it spread everywhere in the islands. All right. Well, Dr. Kozak, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciated uh, your, your wisdom and sharing uh, this information with our listeners. Uh, you can hear Dr. Kathy Kozak's Body Show every Monday at 6.30 p.m. on this station. And we thank you, uh, everybody out there, for listening and joining us on today's show. That is it for this Aloha Friday. Uh, if your call didn't make it on the air, contact the Talkback Line. That number is 808-792-8217. Coming up next week, uh, we'll check in on the rail project, the silver lining, and the dark COVID cloud. You can also email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. 
Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation, HPR, or tweet us at HI Conversation. You can also find us on Instagram at The Conversation, HPR. Uh, you can also visit The Conversation page on our website to listen back to our shows. Our program is produced by Lillian Song, Harrison Patino, uh, Jer- Jason Ubai, and Russell Subiono. The Backyard Quiz theme was written for us by John DeMello, and our theme music courtesy of Gypsy 808. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us on Monday and pick up the conversation.